Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Deb Crow, and I have found yet another heart-centered leader. He's become a LinkedIn connection, a colleague, and I think I'm even going to call him my friend today. I want to introduce you to David Marlowe. He is the founder, the president, and the chief encourager of Vularu. Dave is a nationally recognized leader in both personal and corporate transformations. During his career, Dave led company-wide transformations at three Fortune 500 companies, serving in senior leadership and executive roles. In addition to executive coaching and corporate transformation work, Dave is a highly sought after speaker, delivering keynotes at global business conferences, such as AT&T's B2BI Customer Conference, Fusion's IT conferences, and most recently at the Global OPEX 2020. So Dave, welcome to Imperfect. Hi, I'm excited to be here. It's great to, great to talk with you in person, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely, our, our virtual meeting. And I have to tell you, I enjoy your daily post and, and content on LinkedIn. And regardless of what time of day I, I'm able to hop into LinkedIn and take a look, I always make a point of going and seeing your post. And I just want to thank you for kind of your daily wisdom and always sharing of your leadership. And, and you share from the heart and it's really, really prevalent to me and I know to other people. So heartfelt thank you to you and, and all that you put out there on social media. Oh, you're very kind and, and you're most welcome. So I'm glad it, glad it uh, impacts you. So Dave, I got my coffee in hand because I know you're a coffee lover and I got some really great questions for you. So are you ready? I am ready. I have my coffee as well. So fire away. Okay, here we go. I know that you are an expert on Ikigai. I would love for you to describe your creative moment and process when you were able to create a practice around this methodology to really help people find their purpose or their reason to be, can you share with us that moment, Dave? Sure. So um, probably it, it, going back to even just my own discovery of Ikigai and, and my Ikigai, which, which is, no, not ironically enough, um, helping others find their purpose in life. Um, it started probably, I'm gonna say about four years ago, I could see that my corporate career was not going to end the way that I had hoped or planned. Um, I started getting on LinkedIn uh, because the worst time to get on LinkedIn is when, when uh, you need a job, right? 
And um, I just started sharing it's much like, uh, again, I appreciate what you said earlier, but it's true. It's just, I just started sharing, sharing things about my heart, from my heart, things that I, I felt were important for people to know or that I cared about. It wasn't any kind of plan or any kind of, um, any kind of a particular goal or, or thought in mind other than sharing. And I asked some friends, I said, hey, you know, I've been doing this for a while. What's from, from just reading my stuff, what's my brand? What do you see is, is coming out? And I uh, had some feedback, but one guy said, I don't know about your brand, but you ought to look into Ikigai. And so I said, well, what's Ikigai? So I, I just, just look into it. And I dug into it and found that it had been something that I had been teaching and using and living out really for uh, almost 30 years. And I finally had a name to it. And uh, Ikigai, of course, is, is your purpose, your reason for getting up in the morning. And living into that purpose is that unique expression of you, your gifts, your passions, your skills. It represents your ability to impact uh, the world. And living into that is spending time doing what only you can uniquely do. And so um, my practice is to help people uncover that because it's really, it's really not so much discovering it. It's, it's there. Every, all of us know it. We see it. There are indications of, of it. We just kind of have to uncover it because you know, life sort of buries it. You know, friends, family, circumstances, failures, all of that come into play and sort of hide the EG guy from us. And so uh, what, what I've done is, is develop a practice around helping people uncover that for themselves. Well, and I think the uncovering is, you know, if we think about the, the map, when you can discover that intersection of all the different elements. And like you said, you were living it and it was kind of your aha moment when you realized it had a name. And it's so neat when we have those discoverable, discoverable moments in life. And I think that's when we know that we're really on our right path and our right discovery. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I love that you mentioned the, the four elements and, and a lot of people when they, if you just Google Ikigai, you'll find a, a Venn diagram with, with your, your purpose or passion, what you're good at, what the world needs and what they're willing to pay for. And I always tell people that that is really a tool and a diagnostic to help you unco uncover the way you might manifest that. Your Ikigai is really much deeper than that and much more personal. And that can be used to, to help find how you might live it out, right? Um, I, I tell, many people that you're, you're not really an accountant or you're not a lawyer, or you're not a continuous improvement guy like I was, right? You're you. And that full expression of you is really what Ikigai is about. There are lots of ways that you can live that out. You know, if you go back over my career, I started uh, as even as a teenager in commercial radio. I was a disc jockey and uh, did some TV and things like that, although I have a face for radio. Um, and then was a United States Marine, a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And then I was an engineer and so forth. But each point along the way, I was living out my Ikigai. And that was present in all of those different types of occupations. So that's one thing uh, it's really important for people to understand. There's a lot of ways that you can manifest your gifts and your purpose in life. And that Venn diagram is a great way to do that, but that isn't your Ikigai per se. Well, and it's interesting. And I think what I'd love to do is have a link from you to put 
underneath the podcast in the episode description. So I don't, I don't want to leave people hanging when we can give them this actionable step. So we'll definitely direct people towards that. Now, my second question is the one that all of my guests get. What imperfections does Dave bring to his heart-centered leadership? Oh my goodness, we're going to need an hour and a half for this, this segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, one uh, that, that meets that so quickly is uh, I tell people I'm a recovering perfectionist um, that uh, struggle with perfectionism and the need for everything to be just so-so and putting 100% into everything for the longest time. And seeing the, the fallacy, first of all, of that, but also how to overcome that um, has become a big part of my, my coaching and something I think is a, is a strong value add that I bring. Because a lot of people uh, deal with that in varying degrees. Um, and really a, a strong understanding of the 80-20 principles that helped me uh, both realize that I had that and overcome it. And uh, very quickly, the 80-20 principle and the way I teach it is 80% of the positive things in our life come from just 20% of the activities that we do or the things that we do or the time that we spend. And the vast majority of things have no value, yet we invest 100% if you're a perfectionist, you're putting all kinds of effort into that, that space that has very little of any value. We're much better off investing more time in the high value things and, and focusing very, very few things matter. And we should focus on those things and put a lot more time into them. And just even getting that understanding has helped me on a personal level and helped me, uh, let's say, accomplish the majority of my goals and the successes I've had in my career as well. Well, I love that 80-20 principle. And I think with 2020 and, and the way it's unfolded, I've even simplified it in my own life. A friend of mine shared a sentence with me and every time I feel like I want to be in that perfectionist mindset, I have it taped up on the wall in my office and it says done is better than perfect. <laughs> That's, that is a beautiful thought right there and, and true, very true. So making things simple, I love it. My third question, Dave, is how would you develop a strong leader using your framework and help them develop so that they can handle more responsibility? Yeah, so the, um, the best thing, and it's a bit of an ad adaptation to the, the 80-20 rule, most, most people are overwhelmed by noise. Right? A, lot of, a lot of stuff going on. The, the transformations that I've led have been primarily around getting um, leaders uh, a little more time and a little more ability to, to think about the future as opposed to just handling the current, the current situation. Um, I'll take my own progression because this is kind of how I match and, and met uh, up with leaders along the way. Uh, when I was at a company called Metavante, it was a large financial services company. 20% uh, of all the financial transactions in the U.S. were handled by their, their network operations center. And I, I led that. I was the vice president of technology services. And there had been five people in that job in the prior seven years. And all of them had been pushed out and, and overwhelmed. And the primary reason was I spent most of my day getting yelled at for all the stuff that was going wrong. And um, 
so I, I took a quick look at and applied uh, my noise reduction process, right? Just, I, what can I do to keep getting from, <laughs> keep from getting yelled at, right? Um, and I, I looked at, for example, the majority of the es escalations to me were from vendor issues. So I broke down what was causing vendor escalations and, and eliminated those things and took some very simple steps to, uh, a lot of it was passed down from shift to shift to shift. As you can imagine, a seven by 24 hour network operations center, you had a lot of turnover. There was actually no process for turning over from one shift to the next. And as a result, issues were left hanging or unknown to uh, the overnight shift and so forth. Um, just getting that noise level down by creating a turnover process gave me a few days a week to start thinking about the next thing. And then I invested that time in, in getting the noise down again and, and eventually got things running fairly smooth and then can invest in the innovation space and growing and, and creating. And that's where we took that uh, network operations center. They were on the verge of being outsourced to a, to a vendor all the way to being heralded as one of the leading knocks in the world. And I, that's how I got a lot of the speaking engagements that I got. People said, well, how do you run one of these? So I went and, and shared, but it was that process and, and we needed in our lives of just getting the noise down long enough to start thinking about that next thing or, or development. If you're, a, if you're a manager and you're just getting overwhelmed with complaints from either your customers or your employees, you don't have time to think about how we can improve, uh, improve our team. And so um, that's kind of the, I'll call it the Marlowe method <laughs> of getting the noise level down, stabilizing sustainable systems, and then investing that and in creating a virtuous cycle of improvement that just keeps feeding itself. Well, and it sounds like a process you have put into your own activities of daily living and strategic, there always has to be some tactics and some processes. So I think that's really, really good sound advice. So thank you for sharing. My last leadership question, Dave, is what question could you offer to our listeners today to help them with their process of self-audit? To, to help them with their process of discovery, what little nugget could we give them to have an actionable item from you, what would be a good question? Yeah, so again, blending some of what we've already talked about, the 80-20 the, uh, rule, and I haven't shared personal Kaizen, but personal Kaizen is a <clears throat> excuse me, small incremental change process. I would say, ask yourself, what small thing can I do today to get my noise level down so I can invest five minutes in tomorrow? And again, it's, it's one small action over a continuum of time that leads to great wins. And I think that's such a powerful message. A lot of times we don't see the effort and energy we put into something until someone says, let's just pause here for a moment and look back at what you've just done in the last seven days or 15 days or the last month. And that's where the magic happens with our own discovery when we see what we've put forth. So great question, Dave. Thank you. Okay, we're going to switch to the Fab Four. These are four fun questions. I'm just going to ask them and whatever's sitting on the top of Dave's mind, that's what we're looking for. Are you ready? 
Okay, it's dangerous, but okay. Here we go. First question. <laughs> first question. What is your favorite quote of all time and why? Wow, that's like asking me what my favorite child is. Oh, um, boy, oh boy. My favorite quote. Hmm. Um, I'll tell you one that, that comes to mind immediately, so I'll follow the rules here. <laughs> um, it's from a guy named Box, and uh, all models are wrong, some are useful. And I love that quote because we, we build all of these things, right? We have these methods, we have all these things, and they're all wrong, and they're all going to be proven wrong, but some of them are useful until we get to better understanding. And I think that's a great, um, great thing to remember and to utilize throughout your process, because we have to have some models, we have to have some framing, some systems, and we just have to know that they're probably not the ultimate answer, and we're gonna learn something and keep going. I love that. And I think sometimes we, we don't mean to display or have a demonstration of behavior for ignorance, but I think it's just part of our, our protective defense, if you will, because we don't want to be seen as inept or that we're not astute or have some intelligence in something. So again, lowering that wall of resistance, allowing that heart-centeredness to come out with openness and vulnerability. Nobody knows everything about everything. So such powerful advice, I love it. Oh, second question. Okay. What advice would you give to the 16-year-old David Marlowe? Oh my goodness. Um, wow. Call Alicia Killian, who became Alicia Marlowe, much sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It seemed to work out for you, Dave. So I think you did okay. Yeah, yeah, we're doing we're doing all right. I made a made a good call. I just sort of made it sooner. Now I know because you share a lot of funness and positivity on LinkedIn. I know espresso and running is part of your ikigai. What else helped you get to your own discovery? Yeah. So. Um, really looking, looking at those times when applying a bit of an 80-20 to it, when I was the most energized, when I was the most um, uh, fulfilled, you know, what are those moments? What are those things out of each of those very seemingly different kinds of careers or opportunities that I enjoyed the most and was the most successful at doing? And by successful, I don't even mean in a, in a career sense as much as as it was, it just worked out well. Um, I consider some of the um, uh, teams that I've coached in, in kids soccer and basketball and things like that among my great achievements, if you will. And obviously they were just teach, teaching kids, you know, soccer and basketball and baseball, that kind of thing. Um, but when I looked at those and what I got the most satisfaction out of and felt was the most successful in that, in that sense, um, they already, always led to helping people be the best that they could be. Whether that was, you know, as an individual, as a, as a player, as, as an engineer, be it a, a company even as a product, that kind of thing. At its root, my, my drive is to help people be what they were meant to be, what, what they were created on this and put on this earth to do 
and helping them be the best at that uh, is, is what drives me. And those are the moments that I was the most energized, whether again, that was as somebody leaning a lead transformation program or coaching, you know, 11 year old girls in soccer. Well, I love that because it's been a continuum for you and it's, and it's exactly what you share on your LinkedIn posts, your experience. And sometimes we have to, I like to say, fail forward. You talked about being that recovering perfectionist. I believe every time we fail forward, it's an experience that we put in our toolkit, you know, increasing our overall arsenal. And it's that discovery to, I really enjoy doing this. How can I do this more? So thank you for sharing. And I, I can really see that in how you lead such a purposeful life, Dave. Oh, thanks for, thanks for saying that. Last question. It's the big okay. one. What do you want your legacy to be? Wow. Okay. So um, it's, it's funny because this just came up. A friend of mine uh, is a pastor and he, uh, someone dear to a number of us uh, passed away. And so he, he asked that question, you know, what would you, what would you want on your tombstone or whatever you want to put it? Um, and, um, Russell Acoff is a guy who um, did a lot in the design space and whatnot. And uh, I love what his, uh, what his mentoree said about him. And that was, um, I won't be able to quote it precisely, but basically he said that, that Russell was the kind of guy that would be your friend and be there for you and be all over you if you weren't doing everything you could do. He was the best friend and, and the worst friend at the same time um, because he wanted you to be so much more than you yourself wanted you to be and helped you be that. And I would love it if people would, would say that, that I was fiercely loyal and uh, love the people that were, were important in my life and love people in general um, and really wanted it and did things to help them uh, live out a fruitful and, and positive life even if sometimes it was uh, maybe a little rough. <laughs> well, and what I love about that is just the humility and, and vulnerability of what you just said. And even though you're speaking it as futuristic, I think you're living that now, Dave. I think you're very purposeful and who you are and, and what you put out there. So I think you're well on your way to that trajectory and, and we look forward to many more years of you sharing your experience and, and your wisdom. And I'm just so grateful that you shared your time and expertise with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Sure. I'd like to end the podcast with my list of five things that I feel are helpful for living a purposeful life follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you once again for joining me on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.